Let's pause for prayer and that uh, just follow through with that lyric we just sang about glorifying the Lord. Father, uh, may our days, all of our days, bring glory to your name. That's our prayer this morning. Oh, Father, I pray that you would use this uh, time now as we uh, pause to look into your word, that we might be better servants of yours, that, in fact, Lord, we would, we would, uh, that you would move in our hearts, challenge us, that our lifestyles, the way we would live, the way we would, we would respond to your word would be in such a way that all of our days would bring glory and honor to your name, Lord. May our lives not disgrace you, but bring honor to you, Father, I pray. Thank you for your great salvation. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. May he be the focus of our attention as we peer into your word now, I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, how many have ever wondered what's going on in heaven? It's kind of a mystery, isn't it? A lot of... Uh, very little is written in, this, in the Word of God about what's going on in heaven, but today we are given this rare glimpse from God's Word of what, it, what is happening, at least at the Supreme Court level of the universe. In uh, our story today from Zechariah chapter 3, in the fourth vision that was given to the prophet Zechariah, we, we are going to see that, that there is a... Uh, a Supreme Court justice who is um, presiding over the courtroom of glory in the universe. And there, there is a prosecuting attorney, the highest ranking prosecuting attorney in all the universe, called the accuser, or in the scriptural translation, called Satan. Satan means the accuser. And in the docket is a man and that man is described as wearing filthy things and being a burning stick. The prospects for him are not very good. And so we're expecting as this trial scene moves forward, that it's just a matter of time before the prosecuting attorney finds this man guilty. And the judge lowers the gavel and calls him condemned. But then a shocking thing happens. A most stunning thing happens. What we could have never expected. Would you turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 3? There it tells us what took place. Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah is the... Go to the uh, middle of your... Well, the, just before the New Testament starts and turn back to one prophet and then the next prophet and you'll come to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3. And it seems to me that... Because we are given this amazing insight into the courtroom of uh, the Supreme Court of the universe, and there's a picture of the judge of all who enters. If any of you have been on jury duty selection, because none of us would have ever been brought to court, of course. If you've been brought to jury selection, you know what happens. Someone comes out and says, all rise. So it seems to me that as we read this text this morning, I'm going to say to you, all rise for the judge of all the universe. Would you rise? They wouldn't ask you a second time in court. <laughs> they would hold you in contempt. Why is it so hard for us to stand up for the king of the universe, the, the judge of all? Here we go. Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, 
and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. And then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave the charge, this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you a place among those standing here. Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you. You are men who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua? There are seven eyes on that one stone. And I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. In that day, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. Well, this is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, just as we were expecting that the man would be condemned, we are shocked and stunned to hear the judge of all the earth turn and rebuke the, the prosecuting attorney. Here we see in the text here, if you join with me in the text, the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. And it says here, the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you Satan. And then he says it again. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a man burning? Uh, is this not a, a man, a burning stick, uh, snatched from the fire? I, I want to, um, I want to uh, encourage each of us today as we look at this scene that is happening in the high court of heaven, to not view this as simply a vision that took place uh, hundreds of years ago and, 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 and doesn't have some sort of application to us. In fact, I want you to, to view this as if you are standing in the courtroom, as if you are the man in the docket or you are a woman in the docket and the court of, uh, uh, the Supreme Court of the universe is called into session and, and the, uh, the Supreme Court justice of all the universe is presiding and and the prosecuting attorney, the highest ranking prosecuting attorney, is bringing a charge against you. And he has never failed to bring a charge of guilty, ever. And there you are, standing in the courtroom. This courtroom, of course, is um, a description for us of all time of how God views his people. Uh, the judge rebukes the prosecuting attorney, and uh, what a judge he is. Now, I want you to also know that this is not the story of a dirty man as much as this is the story of an amazingly gracious God. That's a picture here for us. And in our rush to experience every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ, which we have been granted and offered, Ephesians 1 verse 3, 
on the basis of our salvation, we have been given gift upon gift and, and grace upon grace. Be sure you stop and gaze regularly at grace. Now, um, today, hopefully by the end of our time together, we will have a, a clearer picture of the grace of God. We're often confused about what this grace actually means. We throw the word around. We use the word grace. Grace is a nice uh, name that's often uh, the name of a woman. Women are grace. And there's, uh, you see a, a figure skater who's amazing. You say, well, what a, a graceful skater. What a, what a, and we, or we say a blessing before our meal and we call it grace. Uh, but this is a special kind of grace and we need to understand what this actually means. The danger... Uh, to our experience-addicted culture is for, the, for the, is, is for the most part, we engage ourselves paying attention to what is happening and, and what we are experiencing. And we regularly kip, kick the, the, um, um, the, the theology or the, the, the meaning or the reality of grace to the curb and, and rushing to look at our experiences and forget in looking at what is happening, to contemplate or recontemplate why it is happening. That anything good happens to us in our lives is because of the incredible grace of God. So I want you to look at this story really carefully with me as we, as we dig in. How in the world uh, did we get to anything good in our lives? And frankly, it is God's mercy Pure and simple. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, brothers, Paul said to people, like us, I beseech you by the mercy of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices. In light, in other words, in light of what God has done, I, I urge you to present because of the mercy of God that anything good happens to us or has happened to us is on the basis of the merciful grace of God. And in fact, Zechariah pulls back for us here the curtain of heaven and allows us to peer into the character and nature of our great God and, and demonstrates for us the, a little bit of the Lord's Prayer where it says, as it is in heaven, so it is on earth, uh, to give us front row seats of the unfolding drama of God's mercy and grace. So let me start out this way by saying, by grace, I want to share three truths from this uh, section here of Scripture. And, and the first is this. By grace, God saves you entirely. By grace, God saves you entirely. How do I understand that? Well, th this section is a, of accuser and judge. We have this courtroom scene as we, we stand before our maker. All of us stand before our maker. There is accuser, and, and his accusation against us is a valid case. We deserve condemnation. It, it, the courtroom, in this courtroom, uh, 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 this cosmic courtroom over uh, all of creation, you and I stand guilty as accused. We are Joshua. Uh, Joshua, do you notice here, Joshua, verse 3, was dressed in filthy clothes. Now that is a sanitized description of the word filthy. Uh, if we could graphically portray the clothing that Joshua is wearing in the most um, precise 
way it is truly used in the original language is he was dressed, covered in human excrement and vomit. In other words, this man stands before the Lord of glory in the, attired in the, the worst situation that you could ever imagine. His, he stands there hopeless before God in filthy clothes, not fit for heaven, not fit for court, not fit for the presence of God. And, and what's alarming to us is that Joshua's the high priest. That means he's the, at the time the very best of humanity that God could bring before him into heaven. Here stands the, the best that we have to offer. Our champion, the high priest of Israel, stands in the courtroom of heaven, clothed in human excrement and vomit before the Lord. So much for human behavior or nice attempts or trying to clean ourselves up before God. If that's the best human that we can put before God and that's the description that there is, then what hope is there for any of us to stand in the presence of God in this courtroom? So his identity is high priest, filthy clothes, good deeds, aren't going to help. He is hopeless. But there's more. His predicament, not only his identity uh, in filthy rags, but his predicament is a burning stick in a fire. That's the description here. Pictured as being eaten alive by the fires of God's judgment. Because he we find out in the, in the text in verse 5 that the filthy clothes are representative of sin. So he stands in front of the Lord of glory in the high, court, high cosmic court of the universe, filthy in his sins. He stands before God, a sinner, uh, desperate before God. And that's why he is ca called a burning stick that is in the fire of God's judgment. Most of us really don't understand the predicament that we're in when we are living in our sins. A holy God, our almighty, gracious, holy God, cannot draw near to sin at all. He can't. It repels him. Not only does it repel him, it stirs up in him what must be necessary. It's necessary. The wrath of God, the orge of God, in opposition, in holy opposition to our sinfulness whereby we have determined that we can do a better job of our lives. We can walk in our own ways. We can, we can be self-made people. We can ignore the grace of God. We can ignore the mercy of God. Thank you very much. I don't need you. And we walk away from God. This is the predicament. And Joshua, as a high priest, stands in for all of Israel as their representative. Israel needed a way back. And as we stand in the presence of Almighty God in our filthy rags as burning sticks under the judgment of God, we desperately find our situation hopeless and helpless. What will become of us? We stand condemned. And so we're expecting that to happen. 
We're expecting the gavel to drop. And that the judge would rightfully declare us guilty as charged. Depart from me, you wicked. But he turns his gaze to the right side of Joshua, where the prosecuting attorney called Satan is standing, and rebukes him. What? That's right. He rebukes him. Why? Because he hadn't noticed that Joshua was a burning stick snatched from the fire. What does this mean? He goes on to say in verse 2, after the rebuke, he says, because the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem... I rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? By my mercy, by my grace, I have chosen him. Not because there was anything special in Joshua. He stands before me in filthy rags. Not because he had in some way done something that would eliminate my judgment, but rather just because of my grace, my mercy. Not because he deserved anything, not because he was favored by me, I just simply chose him. On what basis? Because of behavioral change? No. Because of identity change? No. On the basis of my choice, while still dressed in filthy clothes, I snatched him out of the fire. That's why Paul could turn to that same Roman audience and say to them, do you not understand that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you? Wait a minute. What are you saying? It wasn't because of my good behavior? It wasn't because somehow God looked down the quarters of time and saw that that I was going to become a good guy or a nice lady. And so he said, I need to take that person and put them in my family. <laughs> That's not the picture we have in the courtroom. The picture we have in the courtroom is a man standing hopeless and helpless, clothed in filthy rags, with no hope, with no future, with nothing but condemnation waiting for him. Nothing but the judgment of God. And so he stands there before Almighty God and Satan is rebuked. Joshua did nothing except stand there. In fact, notice what it says in verse 3 and 4. Now Joshua is dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. He couldn't change anything about his behavior. He was dead in his trespasses and sins. Dead people can't do anything. It, it was a, 
It was an act of the mercy and grace of God who said, reach out to this man covered in human excrement and vomit and take his clothes off of him. He can't take his clothes off. And then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. You mean he didn't clean up his act? Be somehow favored by God? He couldn't clean up his act. God had to take his clothes off and actually put new garments on him. You mean he didn't accept Jesus into his heart? That's a not Bible lingo. That's Christianese describes a softening of the grace of God like somehow I had something to do with this. I accepted Jesus. Beloved, Jesus accepted you. We stood before him clothed in our filth, the filth of our sin, unable to do anything. And before the foundation of time, he chose us in him, not because of anything good we had done, but because of his mercy and grace and great love. He takes off our sinful clothing, and by his grace, he clothes us in rich garments that we might stand in his holy presence, forgiven, cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our salvation from start to finish is by grace, by the grace of God. You there, God says to Joshua, you there, you will be mine. You fill your name in. He says to you, you there, you will be mine, and I'll put rich garments on you. God rebukes our prosecuting attorney who stands before us day and night trying to continue to accuse us, telling us that we're not good enough for God that God's grace is not good enough for us, that we somehow have to work out our salvation, that we somehow have to, to please God, that we have to somehow fa- show, um, gain his favor, that, that somehow the things that we've done this week have, have chased away the love of God, and we have to earn our way back to gain his love. Listen, we'll talk about sanctification in a few moments, but in our salvation, there is nothing that we can do. We started out dead in our trespasses and sins. By grace, we have been saved. By grace, God changes you and sets you apart, secondly, to fulfill his plans for you. This is of priests and prophets. Notice what he goes on to say in verse 6. Now, I've cleaned you up. Joshua, I've cleaned you up. You couldn't clean up yourself. There was no way back that you could find on your own. I helped you to come to me. I brought you to me. I've cleaned you up. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here. Listen, I've cleaned you up. I've brought you into my family, and now I'm assigning to you your place in my kingdom, your responsibilities, your, your place as, as, as priest of God before God's people, to represent God to people and people to God. 
to listen to the prophets of God as they speak the word of God to you. They're standing here. He talks about those standing uh, men symbolic, verse 8, men symbolic of things to come. He's talking about Zechariah and Haggai and those others who, who've, who've received the message of God and have handed down the message of God to us. He says, by grace God changes you and sets you apart to fulfill his plans for you. I want you to know, though, we can't move forward. We cannot move forward serving, the God, serving God properly if we don't settle in our hearts what our salvation really means, that it is by grace, entirely by grace, all of God, and all of our gratitude goes toward God. If we let anything settle in our hearts, if we soften grace in any way, if we somehow think we had something to do with it, we will live our lives believing that somehow we have, we're entitled to more of God. You owe me more, God. We will somehow come to the place where we think we have some sort of rights that we can decide what we will obey and what we will choose to disobey. But when we come to realize that we were filthy in our sin, standing before God, nothing that we could do, we were in the fire of God's judgment, and he pulled us out of that judgment, not because of anything we, what, that we did, but because of his grace, and then clothed us in Christ, our rich garments, read the New Testament, we begin to realize what it means to step up and serve the Lord and grow in the Lord as he sets us apart for the work that he's called us to do with gratitude that we find ourselves in this room this morning being told by the living God through his word what he has done for us and what he is continuing to promise to do for us because not only were we saved by grace but we grow by grace. If you will walk in my ways, if you will keep my requirements, I will place you over my house. I will give you standing in the courtrooms of God. I will enable you to find your place in the kingdom of God. Do you realize now that we are the priests of God? Revelation chapter 1 verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 verse 9. We are a priesthood, living stones. He's building us using us to build the new temple of God whereby he saves us on purpose, brings us into his, his amazing kingdom, the kingdom of light, and assigns to us our living stone place as he builds the new temple to his glory all over this world. Today you've been brought into his kingdom. You've been placed in this great uh, kingdom of God, and as living stones, priests of God, we are growing in Christ and taking our place where God is assigned for us. Prophets and priests, for holiness, you are freed from your sins by his blood to obey the commands of Christ. So keep charged. The word is charge here. It's a calling. We are charged. We are we are rental players in the kingdom of God. Do you realize that? We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We are tenants. We are not owners. God owns us. And we are grateful that he does because he has saved us by grace, not by anything we've done. So as priests of God, we exercise our specific giftedness to build up the new temple. We keep charge of the house of God, taking our place. 
taking our part in the grandest building project in all the universe, the Church of Jesus Christ. And he preserves us by his grace. And you are evidence of that. And you have stories of the evidence of God's grace in your life. Where you didn't deserve to be here. Didn't deserve to be where you are. Didn't deserve to be serving God in the way you are. But you know he has brought you to this place. Regularly, I look at my son Jordan and I think the most unlikely possibility for Jordan years ago was that he would be standing here in church playing his guitar, singing to the glory of God. Now, right now, racing through your mind is all the, other, all the possibilities of why he wouldn't be eligible for that. And this story won't be one of those that you thought of. I was assigned one Saturday to babysit my child, Jordan. I know, I know. Mothers are saying, wait a second, fathers don't babysit their children. They're your children. They don't babysit them. You look after them just like you should. Well, I understand all that. But Saturday was my day. Lynn went out. And so I was, he was, I think, about four and... I, was, I thought, okay, you know what, I'm going to teach him how to drive, uh, ride a, a bike today. So, so I thought, but his mother's out of here, so I, I thought, well, I better teach him how to drive his bike on the backyard in the grass so that if he falls off, he won't hurt himself and then I won't be in trouble. So I, I thought, that's a bright idea, was I'll teach him how to drive a bike in the backyard. So I was pushing him around, got him going, and, and uh, he, he's trying on his own. He, he goes and he starts. So I go back and sit on the back veranda, watch him, and he drives his bike, and he hits this pothole in the backyard. His wheel turns really fast, and he falls, and I see his head fall and smash into the bike, and I'm like, oh, okay. So, so um, he, sure enough, he, you know, he starts wailing and crying like four-year-olds do, and he comes over looking for sympathy from me. And uh, I dusted him off, stood him back on his feet and said, you'll be fine. Come on, stop being such a baby. Get back up on your bike and learn how to ride, you know. And so, so but he wouldn't. He's just staring at me like, you're the worst parent in the whole world. But he's crying away and looking at me. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. He keeps whining, crying. Come on, Jordan, enough. Enough of the crying already. Just get back up on your bike and start riding. Uh, By the grace and providence of God, his mother finally comes home at this. And she... (laughs) So she comes home, and she comes into the backyard, sees me there dusting off the little kid crying. She says, what, what happened? And I said, well, he's fell on his bike, but he's being such a baby, such a whiner. He keeps crying and whining. I said, I got things to do. I'm going to the church. I, I've, got, I've got to work on my sermon, so uh, you, you can take care of him. So, so I left, and, and, and to make a, a fairly long story short, I get not, I'm not long at the church, so there's a frantic knocking on my window because there was no way to get in the church. It was locked, and someone's frantically knocking on my office window, and it was one of the ladies of the church, and so I go around, let her in. She says, you've got to come home right away. I said, why? She said, because Jordan is being airlifted to a trauma center in London, children's trauma center in London. I said, what? And uh, as it turned out... Um, he had fallen, and he was driving a bike that had uh, handle brakes, and, and the handle of the brake handle had punctured the soft tissue of the back of his throat, and uh, he was, his throat was closing in so that he was going to die. Um, if his mother hadn't have come home, maybe Jordan wouldn't be here with us today. So I, I'm, I've come to the conclusion that mothers are put on this planet to keep their children alive because their fathers will kill them. <laughs> But um, so Jordan is here. But Jordan is here alive, and, and not only alive, but but you know the 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 enemy was was attacking his throat, which God had in mind for him in the future to be using. So it, it, we are here because of the grace of God and what He has done for us. We we all have stories like this of how God has 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 
piloted our lives along and, and, and caused us to be able to serve him and be part of, of growing this great thing, of this great cause of Christ. In verse 8 it says we are to listen, listen to God. We have God's voice to us. What a tremendous grace of God that is. And, and his guide, the Holy Spirit, who teaches us to, to understand what God has to say to us. Why? Because we are finite we need the divine assistance of God to understand his word. We are fallen. We, we don't want to understand. We can't understand and we don't want to understand. But only because of the grace of God, he provides for us the Holy Spirit. And teachers full of the Spirit who will help us to learn what God is saying to us that we might listen to him. And then finally, you get down here to verse 9 and at the end of 8 and verse right through to 10. And, and, and I see here the third by grace would be this. By grace, God promises glory and a better day. There's another stunning visual. I don't know if you've noticed here, but it says, listen, O high priest. I'm, gonna, I'm going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I've set in front of Joshua. There's seven eyes on, on that one stone. This is a, a glorious picture. What we didn't pick up earlier, perhaps, as we were studying this, is that... Is that um, the angel of the Lord was the judge. And throughout Scripture, the description of the angel of the Lord is almost invariably a description not of an angel, but of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And, and so what is being stated here is, that, is that, that this visual is Joshua, Zacharias is, getting the, is in on this vision, you have the prosecuting uh, attorney, uh, Satan, and you have the Son of God. And standing there is this prophecy that is made, the branch. You remember, for Zechariah saying, you remember what Isaiah had said 300 years ago? That the branch of David, the Messiah, would come 300 years ago? You're standing in his presence. You are standing in the presence of the branch, the servant the one with seven eyes, the, the, the perfection of sight, the omniscient one, the one who knows all things. Can you imagine the high priest Joshua standing with literally with prophecy being fulfilled in this courtroom before his very eyes that this glorious moment that he was privy to and Zechariah was privy to is going to unfold the glories of Christ's salvation for us. And it states there in the text, he says, and I will bring an end to sin in one day. Amen. That would be stunning to the high priest. Because the high priest, as you know, every year had to come before the, the presence of God called the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And, and there he would represent the sins of the people to God. And year after year, he would have to come. And of course, he himself was sinful and would, would have to have atonement for his own sins. And year after year after year, this would happen. And there's this stunning prophecy that said, standing before you is the one who will end this in one day. And that one day was Calvary. Amen. Where the branch, the servant of the Lord, Messiah, perfection of omniscience, the seven eyes, goes to a bald rock outcrop and there places himself on the cross of Calvary to take away our sins. 
by grace you have been saved. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and lifted off our filthy garments and placed on us rich garments of our salvation. And then it says there, and there is a day when every man will sit under his fig tree and welcome people. Truncated in this vision is this glorious day where sins will be atoned for once and for all. Hebrews chapter 10, read it, it's amazing. Sins are atoned for once and for all. I feel tra it's tragic every time I see the, the, the uh, Yom Kippur being celebrated year after year. Yom Kippur is done. The day of atonement took place at Calvary so that our sins were taken away. And then there's this, this vision of, of the the glory of the kingdom. The, uh, the idea was that when sins would be taken away, Messiah had come, the king of, of Israel had come, and, and the kingdom was, was presented to them, the, the, the forever kingdom, but they rejected him. And there's a big gap between verse 9 and verse 10. From the day that sins were taken away until the day of the second coming of Jesus Christ, who will come again and someday... Each one of us will benefit at that consummation of our salvation by His grace to enjoy the company of one another. This, this what we're doing here this morning, is just a rehearsal for what, what's talked about here in verse 10. Someday we'll be fellowshipping together, loving on one another. No, loneliness will be done. We will be together. And that's what the promise is that has been offered to us here. Everyone will have a place. It will be their joy to share it. Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Welcomed into heavenly dwellings. Loneliness will be a thing of the past. What's so amazing about grace? God has taken us from shame to glory. And we did nothing. It is all of grace. Our Father and our God, this morning we are just so amazed in your presence. We thank you, we praise you, we love you. We recognize the opposition of the enemy is upon us this morning in every possible way. Trying to distract your word from our ears and our hearts. Evidence upon evidence that the prosecuting attorney does not want to give us over. But the Lord rebukes him because... You have chosen to call people into your family by your grace. We thank you in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. So what is so amazing about grace? It's a total game changer. This morning was perhaps for you a, a glorious reminder of what Christ has done in your life. But for others, it might have been a grace awakening. Perhaps you've been treading upon the grace of God throughout your life. There is nothing more serious than this message of salvation by the grace of God. The picture that's given to us in the courtroom of heaven is a picture that's true right now. In this room, there are two types of people. The one type were formerly in filthy rags as burning sticks in the fire. But by grace, 
God has taken you out of the fire and taken your soiled, sinful clothes off, the mess you've made of your life, and you couldn't even put on anything new. He put it on for you. That's the one type of person. The other is, you're here today and you've never heard of this before, but you realize that standing in the courtroom of heaven, you're still wearing filthy clothes. You're still a burning stick in the fire of God's judgment. Friend, if that doesn't change, you will be condemned for all eternity. Because filthy, clothed, burning stick people can't stand in the presence of God for all eternity. Unless you are changed by His grace and clothed in His righteousness and pulled out of the fires of His judgment, you will face judgment, the fires of God's rejection for your whole life, whole eternity. So as you stand here this morning, as we pray, and I invite people to bow their heads right now, if you are here this morning and you say, I am that person standing in the filthy rags of my sin, a burning stick in the fire of God's judgment. But today I've become aware of the fact that the judge of all the universe will commute my sentence and allow me to go free and clothe me in rich garments of his salvation. And I want that salvation. If that's you, would you slip up your hand wherever you are and I can pray for you as we close in prayer. Anyone, anywhere. I want that salvation by the grace of God. I bring nothing but a sinful person. Yes, thank you. Others. I bring nothing but a sinful person. Thank you. But today, my heart's desire is that the Lord of glory would take off my filthy rags and would clothe me with rich garments of eternal salvation through Christ Jesus. Our Father, I thank you for those whose hearts have been touched by your grace today. Nothing of us, all of you. And I thank you, O oh God, on behalf of all of us who have experienced the grace of God in our lives and just simply rejoice with great gratitude and thanksgiving. Oh Lord, thank you for your amazing grace to us. And for those in here this morning who want to receive your grace, oh God, come before you, admit that they are sinful, dressed in filthy clothing of sin and desire that you would rescue them. To those who receive Christ, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Thank you for your truth, for your salvation, and oh God, thank you that it was by grace we were saved. In Jesus' name.